Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 599 for the 1st of July, 2018. This week, anybody who needs to document on-screen applications will appreciate some of the new capabilities in the 2018 version of TechSmith's Camtasia. That version also brings the Mac OS version closer to duplicating the Windows version. In short circuits, browser security is more important every day. A new version of Firefox adds some safety features and Mozilla is developing a process that might be able to warn users when a site that has their credentials has been attacked. It is vacation season, so maybe now is a good time to think about how to improve selfies. Package non-delivery scams seem to have disappeared from the internet a year or more ago, but now they're back. In spare parts, only on the website, company that offers one-hour delivery of beer, wine, and spirits has expanded to 100 markets. Mobile payment systems continue to gain acceptance, but some of the big players are dealing with decline. TechSmith's Snagit application is essential for anybody who needs to document on-screen processes on websites or in any kind of online or print publication. Although Snagit has limited video capture capabilities, advanced video documentation is best done with Snagit's other primary application, Camtasia. Following the lead of many other software companies, TechSmith has abandoned version numbers. The current version is Camtasia 2018. That decision makes a lot of sense, because TechSmith was late to the Mac OS, so Windows versions had one number, and Mac OS versions had another lower number. In the 2018 version, TechSmith has improved the library functionality in the Windows version and has added it to the Mac OS version. Camtasia captures, edits, produces, and exports video sequences. It's important to understand that Camtasia is not Adobe Premiere, which is intended to edit and produce video sequences from a camera. Camtasia is a tool designed for documentation specialists. Although Camtasia is more basic than Premiere, and therefore a lot easier to learn, it's not an application you can open for the first time and master in a day. But if you spend 30 minutes watching TechSmith's introductory tutorials, and maybe another hour or so experimenting, you should be able to at least create basic documentation videos within a day or two. Those who have experience with other video editors or with an earlier version of Camtasia will make a quick transition to the 2018 version. TechSmith offers a complete series of instructional videos that address using the program's more advanced features, and there are a lot of those. For this review, I'm going to limit the topics to what you might reasonably expect to master after watching the five introductory videos. The ones that I mentioned take about half an hour to look at. Recording captures the full screen of your primary monitor by default, but it's easy to change that if you want to capture just a small part of the screen. If your computer has a webcam, you can turn that on too. Audio is on by default, and you can select the appropriate audio input if your computer has more than one. You can also capture system sounds. 
After you press the big red record button, Camtasia reminds you about which button to push when you want to stop recording, then starts a five-second countdown to showtime. Camtasia's interface is similar to that of most other video editors. On the left edge of the interface, under the record button, you'll find a list of tools. These include the media bin, the library, which is kind of like a media bin on steroids, annotations, transitions, behaviors, animations, cursor effects, and more. The next panel to the right will display tools or components that are related to the tool you select. The media bin, for example, will hold any audio, video, or other media files you've imported for the current project. TechSmith calls the large panel in the middle of the interface the canvas. You may know it as the stage or the production monitor. It's where you'll see what will be on the screen in your finished video. And if you enable the Properties panel by clicking a Properties icon near the lower right edge of the interface, you'll see the context-sensitive controls for whatever tool or component you have selected. The timeline, which occupies the full width at the bottom of the screen, contains all of the active components in the video you're working on. You can create any number of tracks and name them appropriately. In the example you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website, I used two music tracks so that I could cross-fade the music as needed. The narration track contains the audio that I recorded separately using Adobe Audition. Camtasia can record audio as you're recording the sequence, and I did that just for tracking purposes, but I prefer to record the actual audio for the program separately. There's an overlays track. It includes items such as graphics or titles, callouts, things like that. In the video I used for testing purposes, I never had more than two such items on the screen simultaneously, so there are just two overlay tracks. The main video track is at the bottom of the timeline, and it can contain animations. You'll see the playhead. It's used to move through the video and to position the cursor where you need to cut video or audio and there are playback controls directly above the timeline. There's also a zoom control that's used to enlarge or reduce the amount of information shown on the timeline. And there's a big explanatory image on the TechBiter Worldwide website so you can see all of these for yourself. The timeline itself is flexible. In addition to being able to add tracks as you need them, tracks can be resized as you work on a video. My timeline had two music tracks, Within the music tracks, you can control the volume by setting anchors and then dragging the volume line up or down. Overlays can be added above the video tracks. That's how I created several boxes and arrows that called out items on the screen. The main video timeline is also where transitions, such as crossfades, are added between individual clips. It's also where animations are added. When the screen is zoomed or panned, you're seeing a transition effect. So I've been talking about creating a video, and indeed I did create one using Camtasia 2018 by recording the process of importing and preparing a series of photographs in Lightroom, editing one of the photographs, and then exporting images for use on Facebook. The sample video, the one I created just for this project, is a little under seven minutes long. You'll find it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The video uses a free intro that I downloaded from the Camtasia website. In fact, it uses it three times. It also uses three free audio files. For casual users, the free assets provided are sufficient. But those who produce a lot of training videos should take a look at the paid option. 
Users have access to a few royalty-free video assets that include customizable intros, outros, lower thirds, animated backgrounds, icons, and music tracks. A paid subscription for $200 a year allows access to 600,000 royalty-free assets. The first 20 animated intros in the Camtasia download site are included with Camtasia 2018, and in fact they're already present in the program's library. Many more are available to subscribers. The same is true for audio tracks. I found 23 that are available without a subscription, and I used three of them in the test video. Many more are available to subscribers. TechSmith also provides images and icons for download. I wasn't able to find any free photographs, but then I didn't need any. There are several groups of icons that can be downloaded without additional charge, and they are also currently present in the library. There are lots of sources for free open source images that are eligible for Creative Commons licensing, and if you aren't able to find any images under Creative Commons that you want to use, well, Adobe's stock plan for $360 annually, or TechSmith's $200 a year program, and lots of other paid programs are definitely worth considering. A theme manager helps users maintain consistency across a single project or from one project to another. Create a named theme, define foreground, background, and accent colors that will be used for callouts, shapes, arrows, and other assets. And you can also define a typeface so the type will be used consistently throughout the project. The library is in the Tools panel on the left side of the screen. Selecting an asset category displays a list of free assets and offers the option to download more if you've signed up for the annual plan. For assets that include sound or motion, you can preview it to identify the one that fits your needs. When your video is complete, you can export it as a file to your computer using any of several presets, create your own presets, or export to Screencast, Vimeo, YouTube, or Google Drive. For my test video, I recorded the full screen on a high-resolution monitor, 2560 by 1440. Exporting a high-resolution video for use on the Internet has been problematic in the past. By problematic, I mean, well, what I mean is tearing out what's left of your hair, shouting at the cat, and questioning your sanity for even thinking about creating a video. All that has changed. Camtasia rendered the video, connected to Vimeo, uploaded the file with only minimal work on my part, giving the video a name, providing a description, and including some keywords, and then selecting the privacy setting. Vimeo processed the file and published it. Done. So the bottom line for Camtasia is five cats. If you create documentation videos, Camtasia might save your sanity. A software support technician introduced me to Camtasia in 2002, not long after TechSmith released version 1.0. I was impressed back then. Sixteen years later, I am still impressed. If you need to create video documentation, it's unlikely that you'll find a better application. The 2018 version enhances Camtasia for Windows and brings Camtasia for the Mac OS in line with the Windows application. You'll find additional details and a 30-day trial download on the Camtasia website. There is a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com.
In short circuits, it seems that browser security is no longer an afterthought. Browser developers have been concentrating on security for several years now. Microsoft touts Edge as being more secure than the competition. Google makes similar claims about Chrome. And Mozilla is testing a new security tool called Firefox Monitor that's intended to alert users if their accounts have been compromised. Firefox Monitor will be in a future release, but version 61 for Windows, Mac, Linux, and Android was pushed out to users this week, and it has some worthwhile new security features, starting with the ability to block operations that rely on the insecure file transfer protocol unless the document itself is an FTP document. The change deprecates non-secure HTTP and pushes forward the company's effort to force adoption of secure HTTP, or HTTPS. You'll find a full explanation on Mozilla's website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Version 61 also implements Transport Layer Security Specification 1.3, that spec was released back in 2014. TLS is the encryption protocol that allows networked applications or devices to exchange information privately, encrypted in other words. The planned monitor function is expected to let users see the details about sites and other sources of breaches and types of personal data exposed. It will then recommend actions that users can take to protect their privacy. Mozilla has begun testing the Firefox Monitor tool. They eventually will enroll about a quarter of a million users, and there are plans to roll it out to all users as soon as they're satisfied that it's ready for general release. The Art of Selfies for Non-Millennials. Well, a bit tongue-in-cheek, perhaps, one travel took advantage of National Selfie Day, which was June 21st, to explain the art of taking a good selfie. If you're not a millennial, the company's news release said, the art of the selfie might seem a little intimidating. If you find you're even more intimidated when you want to look great and also show off all the activities that you're doing on your getaway, they have some suggestions. Now, clearly, this is a self-serving news release. It's intended to get the name One Travel in front of as many people as possible. It also included some good information, though. So, okay, I'm willing to play the game. If you're thinking about going somewhere on vacation, check out One Travel's website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website where you'll find some good, useful travel information. And now, let's get on with the selfie how-to, along with some of my comments. Find the right angle, they say. A high angle doesn't improve your photos. In fact, angling the phone too much can leave you looking distorted. Instead of holding the camera at an awkward angle, try facing it head-on. Not only will you look proportionate, but viewers will be able to appreciate the scenery in the background. Here's my extra advice on that. Consider the weird angles, too. Watch a professional photographer sometime. You'll see a variety of angles being tried. Next, they suggest consider the lighting. Lighting can make or break your travel selfie. Well, yeah, maybe that's why it's called photography, light writing. Nobody's going to be able to appreciate the gorgeous view, they say, if the lighting is bad. Natural lighting is absolutely the best, so use it as often as you can. And the news release says when it gets dark, the flash can be your absolute best friend. Hold it. 
Here's my comment on that. Flash can also be your worst enemy. Avoid it most of the time. Turn it on for pictures taken in strong sunlight. Why? You can fill in the dark shadows that way. One Travel suggests seeking out unusual locations. If you really want your travel selfies to keep your audience intrigued, skip the usual tourist spots. The Eiffel Tower is impressive, but also look for surprising locales to improve your photos and keep them from being the usual boring looks. And, I might add, when you're photographing tourist spots, try some unusual views. Sunglasses or no sunglasses? One Travel says unless you have legitimately cool-looking sunglasses, skip them for your selfie. All that aside, there are times when sunglasses are acceptable, when you're at the beach or in a ridiculously sunny spot, for example, and I agree totally. One Travel says mind the sun. If you're taking an outdoor selfie, the sun can simultaneously be your greatest friend and worst enemy. The trick to taming the sun and making sure that it helps instead of hinders your photographic dreams is to keep it behind you. Try to frame the photo so that your head is blocking the sun. This way you get all the light with none of the harshness. You and your surroundings will look radiant. To which I would add only this. There are generations of photographers who have taken pictures of people facing the sun. This has always been a bad practice. One Travel says you should figure out your selfie smile. Some of us feel awkward cracking a grin on camera. Remember, you're on vacation, so you should look like you're having fun. If a natural smile isn't natural for you, go for a milder look with a closed mouth smile, being sure to smile with your eyes. And if you really want to nail that on-camera grin, practice it in front of a mirror, they say. Then the next time the selfie mood strikes you, you'll be prepared. And finally, from One Travel, beware of the solo selfie. Traditionally, the selfie is what the name implies, but if you're surfing for the first time or perched on the edge of a high cliff, you don't want to be battling with a camera. Don't do something risky in the hopes of achieving a perfect selfie. In other words, I might add, don't try to win a Darwin Award. It's been a long time since I received one of those fake delivery notices, ones that try to convince the recipient to open a poisoned file or follow a poisoned link. These scams had nearly dropped off the face of the internet, but apparently some crooks are still able to trick some people. The message I received this week is similar to the kinds of messages we've seen in the past, but there's at least one new trick that's apparent. You'll find a picture of the message on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and we'll start at the top of the message and work through it. Recipient. Instead of being sent to me, the message shows undisclosed recipients in the Messages To section. The message purports to refer to a single package that wasn't delivered, so why is it being sent to more than one recipient? That alone is enough to reveal the message for what it is. Attachments. The presence of any attachment makes the message suspicious, and two more than doubles the danger signals. Note that one file is a compressed ACE file, the other is a compressed 7Z file. Many file compression systems exist. 
7-Zip is generally considered to offer more security than PKZip and WinZip, at least for files that are protected with a password. The choice of ACE is surprising, though. It's an uncommon format created by ACES 200. Invariably, these attachments either contain malware that runs automatically, or more commonly now, contains files that the recipient has to run manually. Check out the salutation on the message. If this is a legitimate message about a package I sent, wouldn't the company know my name and not refer to me as sir slash madam? And be sure to read the instructions. The text of the message clearly has been written by someone who doesn't speak English as a first language. Reversed to our office instead of returned to our office is just one of several telltale indicators. And at one point in the message, Comic Sans. Really? No large corporation uses Comic Sans in a commercial message. None. And one final little clue. There's a lot of incorrect capitalization. Non-native speakers of English sometimes seem to follow the Germanic style that capitalizes nouns. In standard English, documents would not be capitalized unless it was the first word of a sentence. Yet another clue. The first rule of the Internet continues to be trust nothing. However, I can vouch for spare parts you can trust it only on the website. This week, a company that offers one-hour delivery of beer, wine, and spirits has expanded to 100 markets. And mobile payment systems continue to gain acceptance, but some of the big players are dealing with declines. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week. Bye.